You're listening to Unfiltered with Matthew Barnaby. And Barnaby is loving this. No filter? You have no filter. <laughs> that's yeah. obvious. That's true. That's you a good thing. You say whatever comes into your mind. Yeah. You don't really modulate your yeah. inner feelings at all. I'm yeah. You. It's a good thing for me, but it's a bad thing for water. Not unless yeah, you pee on your hands in the shower and let it dry, and then it I think that might be a porn movie that you're watching. I don't know. If it, I hope you never did that while we were in the shower together. That would might be a little disgusting. Yeah, um, so you didn't even know. Now here's Matthew Barnaby. Hello, hello, hello. Finally back from Las Vegas. I'm Matthew Barnaby. This is Matthew Barnaby Unfiltered. Great four days. Great four days in Las Vegas. Not gonna lie, I'm fucking tired this morning. Really fucking tired. It, it's I have to realize I'm not 25 anymore. I'm 45. Even though there weren't a lot of late nights, it's just the all day. It doesn't stop. Love watching games in Vegas, though. I absolutely love watching all the games in Vegas and even being on the West Coast covering hockey for SiriusXM, NHL Network, Channel 91. That's called a plug, guys. That's called a plug. So if you want to hear... Me on SiriusXM, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. But yeah, watching the games on the West Coast is so much better. Games start at 4 o'clock. Late games start at 7 o'clock, maybe 7.30. You can be in bed by 10.30, 11. We're on the East Coast. You're going to bed at 1, 1.30. It's, it's a much different beast, but great time in Vegas. I, I, I'm going to reiterate, if you haven't seen a game in Vegas, get to Vegas. T-Mobile is rocking. Games three and four were amazing. They weren't great in game five in San Jose. Dropping that one, San Jose was so much better. So looks like we have a series in that one. Today we're going to talk a little playoffs. Not a, not a ton of playoffs. We're going to talk a couple teams. We're going to talk some good bets that I made. Some shitty bets I made. Thanks, Washington. Not very good. Pitt and Tampa. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Out. Bounced in sweeps. No one would have guessed that. Not one person. Steve Eiserman taking over. Where there's smoke, there's fire, I always say. There's no way he was leaving the Tampa Bay Lightning without knowing that he was going to be the next GM of the Detroit Red Wings. I know we can say he said in the media that he just wanted time. Come on. Not a chance. Not a chance. We all knew this was going to happen. We didn't know when. Looks like that is coming to fruition on Friday today. Press conference set for 3 p.m. by the Detroit Red Wings. Ken Holland looks like he is going to stay on as uh, hockey president. Uh, But this is now Steve Eisner's team. A very smart man. I got a great story about Steve later. More about our agent, but I used to use Steve Eisner. Larry Kelly was our agent. I'll tell it now. I used to call the office all the time and Talk to the secretary. I think her name was Sheila. And I'd say, Sheila, it's, it, it's Stevie, Stevie Eisenman. She's like, okay, Steve, yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll patch you right through to, to Larry. Larry would get on the phone, and Larry would go, hey, Steve, what's up? And I'd be like, no, it's Matthew Barnaby. I just wanted to make sure I got through. And if I said Matthew Barnaby, I might not get through to you. I knew at $5, 6000000 million back then, Steve Eisenman, his boy, was getting through. So great agent. Uh, had him for 14 years just a, a terrific person, and so is Steve Eisenman. He's going to do an amazing job with the Detroit Red Wings, just like he built the Tampa Bay Lightning, built them the right way. I wonder if he was still the GM this year, what he would have done at the trade deadline, what moves he would have made, maybe moves to get them over the top. We will never know, but I know he will do an amazing job, and obviously Hall of Famer and number 19, getting hired on the 19th in 2009. Uh, pretty amazing. And my guest today one of the toughest guys I've ever seen. And this isn't, this isn't a tough guy podcast. I have a lot of tough guys on. And I, I do talk fighting with them a little bit. But it's more about their stories. And the guy that I have on today, uh, again, I, I, I could keep on for hours and hours and hours. And he's definitely a, a multi-time guest that will appear on Matthew Barnaby Unfiltered. I played with him for almost seven years. I fought him several times in training camp. I fought him several times in locker rooms and buses. And you've heard the stories on the other podcasts. And I fought him when I got traded and came back. 
Uh, just one of, like I said, the toughest guys that I've ever seen. I played with him for seven years. I probably saw him lose maybe three fights. One was ugly, Tony Twist. Ooh, that was supposed to be for me, but uh, Rob Ray will be joining us. He will be joining us in a few minutes. Like I said, so tough, so many great stories. Um, does such great work for charity, and we'll get into so many stories. We're going to take some Twitter questions to him. Uh, we're going to do the Barney Five with him, and we're going to talk uh, Buffalo Sabres as he played his whole career there. 900 games. Well, not his whole career. Let, let me preface that. He played like six games for the Ottawa Senators in a playoff run uh, in 03. And I remember him calling me right before he got traded, and he says, should I, should I go? I really don't want to be a Buffalo Sabre the whole time. I said, go. They, they have a good team, and you want a chance to win, and this is probably your last kick at the can. So he went, didn't play much, but uh, we'll know him as a Buffalo Sabre and still lives in Buffalo, does great charity work uh, for the Sabres Foundation. 900 games played, by the way. 3,207 penalty minutes. 226 fights. And these aren't fighting guys that can't hurt you. These are fighting super heavyweights. These super heavyweights. One of the toughest guys I ever saw. We'll get to him in a few minutes. I want to get back to, to Pitt and Tampa before we bring Rob in. Uh, Pittsburgh just dominated by the New York Islanders team. Uh, a New York Islanders team that went north-south and played to their coach's identity. I think both teams that swept the series, whether it's Columbus or, or the New York Islanders, with Tortorella and Barry Trotz, really played to their coach's identity, and they played north-south for the most part. They got timely scoring when needed, uh, great goaltending when needed, especially the New York Islanders in that series. Uh, both teams shut down very good power plays. Penalty killing was essential by both these teams. And I think the East is wide open right now. Washington Carolina tied 2-2 after Carolina winning the two games at PMC in Raleigh. Electric atmosphere there. Columbus fans are back. Islanders fans were nuts. I hate it that they're going to the fucking Barclays to play because it's fun watching them at Nassau Coliseum. I think they changed the name a little bit in there, but I, I'm not doing the research to even find out what the name is. It'll always be Nassau Coliseum to me. But two great wins. Two great series wins. And timely rest coming for the Columbus Blue Jackets and New York Islanders. It, it's it, it's going to be an unbelievable... I mean, the Columbus... The Columbus knockoff of Tampa, arguably with like 1992-93 when San Jose knocked off the Detroit Red Wings. Maybe the biggest upset of all time. You have a team with 62 wins during the regular season get swept. Get swept in the first round. Disappointing. We, if we called it cup or bust for Tampa, getting swept is, is, is absolute disaster. And I think they're built to win a Stanley Cup. They just got to find... Their game, it's, 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 it's a different beast in the playoffs. And the back, back pressure that Columbus put on Tampa in that first round didn't give them any time and space. They shut down the best power play from the regular season. And you have to credit the players in buying into Tortorella's system, committing to team defense. Bobrovsky got over that hump. An unbelievable win. Unbelievable win. Really happy for that fan base. Really happy for John Davidson, the president. Yarmo Kekalainen went all in at the deadline, acquiring Dezingle and Duchesne. McQuaid, who hasn't been a factor, but Duchesne, seven points in four games after really struggling in his time when he first got there. And has overcome not being a, 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 a playoff contender in Colorado, going to Ottawa, that falling apart. But he goes to Columbus, he finds his game, and he's a big reason with many others in that room, the Panarins, the Dubois. You go throughout, Seth Jones taking it to another level. And Bobrovsky finally getting over that hurdle that he struggled with was so long in the playoffs, getting his first playoff, not only win, but series win. So good for them. They're going to, I wonder if they're actually the favorites in the Eastern Conference now. I wonder. I wonder if they are the series or the Eastern Cup favorites now that they knock them off. They're deep. They're good. They have every, every aspect that you need to win a cup. They have it, and they play hard. They play hard under John Tortorella. My bets. I had some good ones. I lost a little money this time. Got a little cocky. Got a little cocky. Took Boston in game four. Hit it pretty hard. Obviously, they win. They made it a little closer at the end than I thought. I was very happy when it was 5-2. 
Wasn't very happy when it was 5-4. Found a way to get back and, and win that game. I got really cocky on Washington. I thought there was no way, after losing 5 nothing to Carolina, that the Washington Capitals wouldn't win game four. And they threw everything they had. That's the kind of game I want. Peter Mrazek was a star in that game. But no Svechnikov, no Ferland, Furland for Carolina. I thought there was no chance, no chance. They get a goal from Ovi on the power play. <clears throat> but I lost. I lost big. Lost big on that one. So still got two series to go where I have money on it. I got Winnipeg, who's now down 3-2 to the St. Louis Blues after giving up a 2-0 lead. I have Boston, who has tied the series and going back home for game five. I need at least one of these teams to cover. I'd love two, but I'll take a split right now. I'll take a split right now and be very happy. My guest today played over 900 games, almost all of them with the Buffalo Sabres, had a short stint with the Ottawa Senators, but known as a Buffalo Sabre and uh, well-revered, not only within the hockey community, but in in the Buffalo community in general, does so much for charity work. Uh, 3,207 penalty minutes, 226 fights. And I'll fucking tell you, that's a lot of fights, especially the guys that he had to battle. But uh, such a great teammate, uh, just an ambassador for hockey in general and does so much for the Buffalo community. Uh, welcome, Rob Ray. Razor, how are you, buddy? I'm doing very well. Yourself? I'm doing well. I'm in California. I just spent four days in Vegas. And Matthew Barnaby, uh, four days in Vegas, as you know, is not probably <laughs> conducive to feeling great this morning, Razor. No, no, I can expect that. That's okay, though. It's all <laughs> part of the mature process. <laughs> I, I, I thought you told me I'm supposed to mature by 30. I'm 45. I'm waiting for it to happen. Well, you know the problem is uh, all of a sudden you'll wake up one day you're going to feel really, really old and you're not able to do all that. I, I think I think that happens. And I still... <laughs> you got to go to the bathroom more often. You have to wipe your ass extra. All those kind of things that you never thought was going to happen, it'll happen all of a sudden. And the last thing in your mind is going to be running around, at, you know, thinking or whatever. The, the best the best thing is the the older you get, the earlier you go to bed. Like I I love being in bed by ten ten thirty, watching a little Netflix, and and I'm out. It's amazing how that part has changed because I remember our days back in the day. I mean, four o'clock, four thirty, and then running off to practice at eight o'clock was was the norm. Now it's like ten o'clock, and I know you have two two kids. Mine are a little bit older, but uh, it's amazing how how old we get and how quick it happens. Yeah, there's days when you're kind of leaning over trying to tie the skates and your head starts going to explode and you just don't know how you're going to get through practice and, you know, you just kind of wind up, go home, have a nap and do it all over again the next day. It's uh, it's amazing you sit back and you think how you made it and, and successfully made it. So, yeah, now it's a big difference. It's You know, you're up at 5.30 in the morning looking around, okay, what am I going to do for the day? And you're thinking by 9 o'clock, the day's over. I feel like my father now. So, But it's good. I like it. I, I want to ask you about, we'll start, you're, you're from a small town, Sterling, Ontario, very small yep. population. Did, did you dream of playing in the NHL or was it like just play hockey and take it as far as you can or you really didn't put much into it? Um, I, I know getting to junior and playing junior, you played in Cornwall, but was, was the NHL the end game or you just kind of took it year by year? Nah, you know what, when we were kids, obviously we all dreamed about playing in the NHL, you're on the street and... You know, you're Von Cornway, you're Stan McKee, whomever it may be, you know, out on the street. But you never, I came from an area where really nobody, nobody had ever came from before to play in the NHL. So when I did start, you know, start graduating up through after my second year of Bantam, then I got a chance to go to Trenton to play Junior B, make the team. And it's like, oh, okay, this is cool. And then the next year you went to Tier 2 and Whitby. And you just, each year for three years, you just kind of progressed up a level and it was, Wow. But even after your third year junior, I didn't get drafted till after my third year. So it was never anything that I really thought about. You know, you watch a lot of other guys that you played with have a chance and, you know, get drafted and all that cool stuff. And, but you never really thought it yourself and, and never really put much into it. It was like, yeah, okay, whatever. I was planning on going home and, you know, working at the family business and, you know, doing that the rest of my life. So I think as a kid, you have the dream and, and in the back of your head, it would be you always think about it, but, I don't know if until it really happens that you really kind of sit there and go, oh, holy shit. And, and, and 10 years after I made it, I still sat there sometimes and go, I actually made it. Well, how did that happen type thing? 
it, it's funny because when we get drafted, you know, we, we go in and I want to ask you, so I, I think I know the answer to almost every one of your stories because I played with you for so long and I've known you, I mean, better part of 20 years now. So I, I know most of the answers. This one I didn't. And, and this was a, a Twitter question that I got for you. Did you fight Ty Domi in the hotel room before your draft or were you guys roommates, something to that effect? Yeah, actually, we had the same age at Rolly Thompson when we, we were going through the draft. And back then, it was different. It was in Montreal. And, uh, you know, it was just a one-day thing. You know, and so Rolly picked me up in my hometown in Sterling. It was kind of halfway in between type thing. I get in the car. Here's Ty in one side of the backseat. I'm getting in the other one. Dan Dao, and, and he was driving. And it was like, as soon as I jump in the back, I'm all excited. And I look, and I go, son of a perch. So for... You know, probably two, three hours from my house to Montreal, you just sat in the back and Ty never shut up the whole time. He's just telling us how great he is and all this <laughs> and who he's going to get drafted by and what round and all this kind of stuff. And I just sat there because I really had no idea what was going on. Uh, we get there, we're in the same room uh, as roommates. And it was like, you know, minutes after we are in there, we started going at it. And going and, and essentially his head got knocked off the, the nightstand and cut him a little bit over the eye and we all of a sudden stopped it was like uh maybe that we better stop this this is it and and that was the end we got the eye fixed up a little bit and you know went to the draft the next day and from that point on you know that night was we had a great time together from that point on it was like every time we played we seemed like we fought uh i think it was 23 times we ended up fighting in our career 13 in the nhl so yeah, but now it's, you know, a respect thing. You see, yeah. he comes in, he sees the son to play, he stops down. It's it's great. And it's something we sit back and laugh and think of how stupid we really were. Those were my favorite fights, watching you and Ty and, and playing on your team and playing on your line at times. Uh, you just knew it was coming into that game that you, you guys were going to fight and it was going to be no holds barred. I mean, you guys hit each other hard, both so tough. Ty, Ty was so tough. And I, I tell everyone, you're one of the toughest that I've ever seen. I probably saw you lose three fights in seven years that, that we played together. Was What was it like for, for you back then? And how has the game changed? Because I remember my first training camp and, and we had Brad May and Doug Huda and yourself, obviously, at Gord Donnelly. So I came into training camp and I was shit in my pants. I was nervous. I, I knew that I had to try to make my name, but I was nervous. These kids these days don't have that. They don't have that fear of the afternoon nap or the training camps that we had to deal with. Not all players had to deal with it, but a lot did. How was your first training camp? Uh, what was it like, and how has the game changed from your standpoint? You know, I kind of came into here as after I got drafted. It was like, you know, I'm speaking with my family. It's like this is the perfect way to cap off the end of the year kind of career, I guess it would say, you know, going to a training camp, getting a chance. And it was, I was going in there kind of wide, wide open, more interested in meeting guys and, you know, the guys that have played in the NHL, never dreaming that you're going to get a chance to play anything more than just the training camp. But it was different back then. It was guys have been around a long time. And, and, you know, my first line mates uh, in training camp were Clark Gillies and Larry, and Larry Playfire. And I'm like, whoa, this is, what's this all about? We couldn't handle the puck. We couldn't do anything. But after that camp, I got sent to watch. And I wasn't, I wasn't a fighter, really. You know, everybody in junior, I guess it was tougher then. And everybody was kind of expected to fight, but not at the level that, you know, you were here. John Van Boxner said to me, he says, hey, they want you to do this. If you can do this, there may be an opportunity for you to play at the next level. If you don't, then you're probably going to play your three years out here in the minors and, you know, maybe done. So I'm like, hey, show me what I need to do. You know, that year I I ended up with uh, 46 fighting majors. I think 440 some minutes in penalties, and that was like in 60 games. I couldn't see for months at a time because your eyes were just you know caved in. So, but I think you you kind of learned the knack, and probably never won many of those fights, but you were willing to do it. And I think it makes it all worthwhile when you get your chance. You know, the following year I got a chance to start playing. So. You know, it was all worth it. But I think back then you you understood the opportunity you were getting and you didn't want to let it slip. Uh, and you had to earn that chance. I think more now it's kind of just given to you. And it's like, okay, here it is. Either take it and run with it, screw it up or whatever. But, you know, 
we'll just see what happens. In the past, you know, yourself, guys are going up and down. You have a bad game. You were scared to death to go to the rink the next day, you know, because you thought you were getting sent down. Uh, there was a lot of things like that where you were lived in constant fear all the time of not only going out and fighting, but the next day, you know, am I going to get sent to Roch? You know, where the team's not doing well. Is it going to be me that's going to get sent down? Somebody else get a chance? So it was hard. It sucked, to tell you, because not only going in and you're talking night before a fight, you're thinking about who you might have to fight, but also thinking, you know, you know, am I going down? Am I staying? Am I going to be a part of it? Because there was nothing guaranteed back then. Now it's kind of, like I said, handed to you, and it's up to you to screw it up. I, I agree with you. I remember getting sent down, just being fearful after a game. If I played poorly, that I was getting that call, and I just tried to stay away from either the coach or the general manager, just try to fucking hide, and hopefully they they forgot about me. Yeah. And and the <clears throat> the nerves of training camp for me were, <clears throat> you knew it was going to be like, Five, six, seven, eight fights uh, with some of the toughest guys. Those guys don't have that fear. And, and, and the game's great now. The game is great. I, I mean, I would have loved to play in an era where we didn't have to fight every night. It gave us the opportunity to, to, to make the NHL, to make good money in the NHL, to set up our careers after the NHL. But certainly a lot of tough nights. Do you remember one of my first nights in Buffalo? The bar was called The Locker Room. Can you tell that story <laughs> and, and how I didn't fare too well? I, I, that was, I had had my knee, I had done my knee and, uh, it was near the end of the year and you were in and we went there after a game and I, and all of a sudden you were with us and you disappeared and we we're like, where's Matthew? Where's Matthew going? You know, type thing. Cause you're all proud. You're there. You got a brand new suit. And, you know, I only had one, I only had good. one suit razor. I grew up poor. So I had one yeah. suit. It was really nice. And I thought, but it was a nice one. <laughs> it was a really nice one. Was. Key. And it was all of a sudden, I was like, where's Matthew? Where's Matthew? Rolling fine. And all of a sudden, some guys are saying, he's outside in the little alley thing. We go out, and they're all like, everybody's going, oh, he got into it. Next thing you know, we find you. Your arms are, I think, were ripped out of your coat or something. Your coat was all ripped to crap because you got into it with somebody in an argument. And, uh, yeah, the suit, or as I remember, wasn't as well afterwards as it was going into it. Yeah, I, yeah, that was that was an interesting night. It's funny because I was told that Razor was fighting outside, and I was like, "There's no way he just had his knee done. He can't he can't move. Like he he's on crutches." So I went outside, and all of a sudden, these five guys jumped me. And some of the toughest guys in Buffalo. I mean, they all jumped me. I hit one not very hard, and then I got jumped and got beat up. They took my watch. They ruined my $700 suit, and then I had to go buy another one. <laughs> and the funny thing is, they were all best friends of my future wife that I met a little later, uh, who I ended up divorcing, and she took half my money. But that's a story for uh, <clears throat> another day. Um, go, go back to the 99 uh, final, how cool that was, that whole, that whole run with that team, the no goal, and just um, probably the epitome, you know, the, the the pinnacle of your career, having a chance to almost win the Stanley Cup. I'm not going to lie, I was cheering against you, and it's not because I didn't love you guys, and but I had asked to get traded, and I fucking would have had to live with myself the rest of my life if you guys won that Cup and I asked <laughs> to be traded. But just speak about that series, that time, the fans, everything. Hey, you know what? It was We weren't the most talented team in the world, and, and but... It just seemed like things started to come together at the right time. Our power play was on fire. But we had guys, uh, you know, that played roles and guys that were willing to go to that next level of sacrificing and, and that. Um, you know, I can remember starting off, like, even in the Toronto series when Dom decided to do whatever Dom was going to do. And Dwayne Rolton had to go in. And we went into Toronto. You won the first game. I lost the second game, but it was close, and it was like, holy shit, here we go. And then Dom came back in game three at home and kind of just shut the door. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was an exciting time. I can honestly say that, uh, you know, beating Toronto and that bus ride from Toronto back to Buffalo for that two hours, whatever it might have been, was kind of probably the coolest two hours of my life, uh, hockey career, because you're not only there with the guys, you just won, and only – the players, the coaches, and, and management on the bus, and they're all having a good time. But it was something that you had time to reflect. You had time to sit there, and it was like, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, you after you're leaving that, going into Dallas to play in the finals, it was kind of kind of a letdown because not losing. I'm just saying the excitement and enthusiasm from you know Buffalo, Toronto, you know conference final to you know the final was something totally different they people there weren't into it here they obviously were but there was kind of a letdown that you know you didn't have that enthusiasm but 
guys in the room, they got, you know, you get into that position and you play that long, you get instantly close. It doesn't matter if you like the guy or not. It just, all of a sudden you just, you're all into it for that one thing and that, that short period of time. And it's like, nothing can come between you. And it was, it was such a cool feeling to be a part of, uh, you know, the year before we got the conference final, you lost against Washington, you know, the next year you roll into the finals. And so you, you're, you're building up something there, uh, but still not considered ever one of those teams in the league that, you know, were top notch or the upper echelon. We were just hardworking guys that were willing to, to pay a price and you got the job done. So it was, it was a great experience. Uh, it's unfortunate you didn't win, but you know, it's just, just to have the opportunity, I think, is is, is sometimes enough as well. I, I agree with you. It was a great run. It was it was actually fun to watch. I know I got traded to Pittsburgh, and then you guys went on. and uh, But it was great for the city of Buffalo, and we all want them to win a Stanley Cup or a Super Bowl at some point. It, it, it You know, you want it for them. You want it for the Pagulas, what they've done for Buffalo. But I'm sure it's something that will be forever etched in your mind. Not Not many guys have a rule that has changed because of them. There was the Rob Ray rule. Uh, when you fought, your jersey did come off, even though I didn't want to see that body all the time. It was brilliant on the way that you orchestrated and the way that you did fight and the way you slipped out of your jersey gave you a distinct advantage. Uh, the rule was brought in, so your jersey couldn't come off. When did you decide that? How did that come about? And uh, what did you think when they changed the rule? Well, it, back in the early 90s when I was – first kind of put into this position to start playing this there was a ton of experimenting going on within the guys of the minors especially from you know loading your jersey up with vaseline so you couldn't hang on some guys had velcro up the inside some guys would have velcro on the sleeve you'd grab onto it uh it would come off um my my, my view is I, I was not as big as 99 of the guys were gonna have to fight so i at one night the jersey came off and it was just like oh my god i'm free here so just thinking from that point on, you went from, you know, wearing the bigger jersey to let it come off to the point of, you know, having the elbow pads so they're barely hanging on and the shoulder pads, I cut all the straps off. So they just sort of sat in your shoulders and put little Velcro things on the pads, the, the shoulder pads to, that hooked inside the jersey just to hold it in place. So when it all started coming off and then when you finally got in shape and actually had a man body, you know, it was nice when that jersey came off. It, uh, <laughs> the ladies liked it a little bit, so it kind of helped after the game. So, but it was it was something that happened over time. And for me, it was like just kind of tuck your head in, pull your shoulders in. That jersey would come off. They'd have nothing to hang on to, and that was the advantage. That you know, you're you're locked into them. They're standing there with your jersey in your hand, and and had no way of keeping their balance or anything like that. And you could just start throwing. So. Um, I, I think it, a lot of it just came from experimental things, what worked, what didn't work, and everybody was doing it, and you were watching other guys. Uh, when it was shut down, it was it was hard for a little while. I remember my first fight when you had to wear the tie down. And it was against tie, and it was in exhibition. So we thought, okay, the tie down and all the kind of stuff that went along with it, but never took it to the next level of that tie down needed to be tighter uh, because what had happened in the first fight, he got my shirt up over my head and it not coming off. My head was in my arm. So my right arm, so here's my right arm up to the air. My head's inside that arm and he's just peeing off on me. And I'm like, thank God he couldn't hurt you when he punched you. But it was, it was a situation. That's where I went in the room and kicked the crap out of Georgie Babcock for, <laughs> for not having the Jersey, right. It was all his fault. And still to this day, I'm, I'm indebted to the guy because he, you know, I did, you know, you just, it was like you're in a rage and it's like, it's all your fault. And then it started going from the tie down to, into a clip. There was a clip on the jersey, a clip on the pants. So I clipped them together. So there was no way the jersey could come up over the head. It was tight yeah. as tight. So that, that helped and that made the difference. But, you know, as far as them making it wrong, it's kind of cool. You know, people ask about it. Uh, it's not so cool when my son is 10 now and playing. <laughs> you know, looking on the internet and people talking about it. And, hey, Dad, what's this all about? And I'm like, ah, you know. But it's beyond the point of downplaying it. Now you got to sit and actually explain it. And, you know, but, you know, the other day we're playing and a couple of kids come at him and he starts pushing him around. And he come off and he never scored a goal, but he was the happiest kid in the world because he got a little pushing match. And I'm like, uh-oh, this is starting <laughs> way too early here. So, 
We'll see. I got to kind of control that one a little bit because it, actually the kitty smoked. The mother was sitting right in front of me and she just got up and started staring at me. I'm like, <laughs> what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do about it? Like, I, 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 talk to his mom. It's yeah. his mom's fault. It's his mom's fault. Yes. Julianne, beautiful lady, uh, great mom. Uh, it, it's funny you talk about all the tricks that were used. I used to spray stick them on my hands when I was, you know, fighting a guy that I thought I could actually beat. There weren't many, but when I did fight a guy my size, I'd spray stick them on it. And you remember we used to have the Velcro on, on the sleeves and the miners and all the yep. tinkering that we, that we did do. Uh, I got a question from Twitter, Steve0040. If you pee on your hands too, it made them tougher. I never did that. Uh, not, not unless yeah, I, you pee on your hands in the shower and let it dry, and then it, it made the, the hand really tough too. So I think that might be a porn movie that you're watching. I don't know if it, I hope you never <laughs> did that while we were in the shower together. That would might be a little disgusting. Yeah, um, so you didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't know. Uh, what, what was going through your mind? This guy asks. Uh, like I said, Steve zero zero four zero. What was going through your mind when he was pounding the fan uh, that ran on the ice in Quebec? Oh gosh! There was a five-on-fight, five-on-five fight going on the ice. Uh, Herb Raglan had ran into Clint Malarchuk, and they're going at it out on the ice, and we're all watching. And all of a sudden, just kind of everybody's corner of the eye, they see this guy sitting up on the glass, and we're like, "What?" And John Markler's like, "Give me a stick, I'll get him." So I got a great picture of Mux going down the uh, the bench with a stick, ready to poke the guy and push him back into the crowd. At that second, he jumped into the bench. We grabbed onto him, threw him onto the ice, figuring it was over. He jumped up from the ice, came running right back to the bench again, right to where I was. And, you know, I, I had a hold of him. I had a hold of his hand. His face was on the board. I'm hitting him, at, I think it was 18 times or something. And then all the cops come, you know, running out and jumping on him, pull him down to the ice. I had a ball of hair in my left hand. My right hand was so sore from hitting him that I had to stop hitting him. And... They wrestle the guy on the bench, or on the ice, I'm sorry. They get him off. There's bullets laying all over the ice. they got to come back out, pick up all the bullets off the ice. The guy's screaming in the back hallway. You look down to the other bench, and the, and the Quebec guys are just sitting there with their jaws dropped going, what the hell is going on over there type thing. And that was it. Uh, what was going through my mind? I don't know. Just getting a piece of the guy. Really, <laughs> I think more or less after the game, we talked about, hey, we were going, you're not sure what the guy's going to do, all this kind of thing, and more of just, protection of you know covering yourself up for for not getting in trouble but you know this day and age obviously it'd be in huge trouble then it, it was just nothing was ever really said of it it was just kind of over with and didn't and the, moved did, on didn't but, the fucking idiot sue you no he didn't oh no. he didn't okay i thought he sued you and it no, was just no, nobody nowhere. nobody ever sued um there was actually the guys online and you can see it but it's in french and i have no idea what the heck it's, it's about <laughs> But Marty Baron showed me there one day this winter that they went to his house and interviewed him. And I always say that if the Quebec ever comes back in the league, I'm going to go knock there on his door and just kind of find this guy. Knock, <laughs> hey, how you doing? What's up? Such thing. So that'd be great. But it was it was crazy. I, the two craziest things, you know. That and but the funniest thing, you're going to the bus and Gordy Donnelly. I'm sitting there and I'm like, Gordy, was that crazy or what? You know, I can't believe that that happened. Blah blah blah. And he looks at me and goes, nah, it's not even close. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? He goes, eh, same building, long time ago, some guy snuck in piglets in a, in a sack and threw them over the glass and during the game, and here's these piglets running all over the ice, falling and pooping all over the ice and that. And he goes, that's the strangest thing I ever saw in this building. <laughs> so it was cool. My, my first game in uh, in Quebec, I, I don't even, I can't, oh, no, I did play because uh, remember Todd Simon got a, took a slap shot on the bench, knocked all his teeth out. He had one shift in the game and, and knocked all his teeth out. But I remember after the game, seeing Randy Muller. This was the strangest thing I had ever seen in a locker room. He had now Randy Muller is the hairiest guy, as you know, everywhere. And he had ice packs on his shoulders and his knees, but he was sitting naked. And there was a girl interviewing him, how times have changed. And I went up to him after, and I'm like, Molly, like, what are you doing? Like, you're sitting there naked. He goes, because he played in Quebec earlier. He's like, that girl seen me naked more times than my wife. It's no big, big deal to her. And I was like, oh, all right, sounds good. I, this is the NHL, I guess. <laughs> I'm not going to stand. I know. He's not big enough to be sitting around. Quebec uh, was always good. I remember getting in an argument outside the bus one night with John Cordick in Quebec and, and, and everybody was like, Hey, get on the bus. And all of a sudden he came flying through right onto the bus after me, after the game into the bus, trying wow. to get at me. I had to, we had to grab onto him and throw him off. So 
Quebec was always a good spot. Yeah, I played junior there. He was one crazy motherfucker. God rest his soul. Obviously passed away years and years ago. Uh, It was tough. Okay, I'm going to give you a chance. Uh, Our bus fight or our fight in the locker room? Which one was better? Um... You were you were upset in the the skate one. You were really upset. Um, yeah, that was a bad time for you. Yeah, I'd have to be it traded. was really funny. And can you tell I think them, it was, can you tell it them was what only bad because back. Tell them what I did with my skate. <laughs> yeah, we, were, we had a little team meeting, and Lindy, and obviously you didn't see it eye to eye, and I just kind of told you to kind of calm down, shut up, and listen. Blah blah blah, whatever. And you got mad, and and step and walked around the corner into the lounge and took your skate and threw it through the TV. <laughs> and it was like, it was funny. Yeah. But back then we had to buy all that stuff. We didn't get it free from the team. And we had to buy the stereos and the TVs and everything that was in the room. And I was like, you little bastard, you just ruined our TV, you know, type thing. So, but on the bus, I think it was the other way around. I was more pissed off because I had waited a long time to get that stick. <laughs> and I was that overlooked by, a lot of different companies finally getting a stick and getting a chance to use it and, and you breaking it. And I was like, I was seeing red and I wanted to kill it. I don't know if it was worse then or the time at home when you were with Pittsburgh, when Lindy sent me out after you because you were being an idiot and you kept saying stuff to him and he's like, go get him, go get him, get that guy. And I was like, you know, hold, I, and I have a great picture of that too. It's a three segment picture. It's me hitting you. And then the next picture, it shows one of your teeth that broke off, and it's in the air, and it's falling through. So it's like a three-picture thing. And I got, I got to get a picture of that. So I got to get a picture of that so I can tweet it out. But I remember being like, obviously, yeah, I was nervous. And, it's and somewhere we- here, if I got to dig it out, I could find it. And but it's, it was pretty cool that whoever took it and gave it to me. It was, it was a sequence of it. But I was pissed off that night. Uh, I was mad. Well, we had dinner the, the night before, and you were, you were really, really yeah. Yeah, and your wife gave me crap after the game, saying, you know, coming up, what are you doing, you know? I'm like, me? Talk to the goofball you're freaking married to. He's the one that got it all. <laughs> Anyways, you know, well, it was good then. It was fun, and it was part of it. You expected it, but, you know, that's what you don't have We knew each other, and you lived with each other, and, and you could still get that anger to play against each other yeah. the way you needed to. Now these guys know. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, it doesn't happen anymore. It's such a different world. And, and again, the hockey is great. It's just it's just different. It's just totally different in what, yeah, what they have. And I miss a lot of what we had. I, I don't miss fighting the tough guys that we had to, to fight. Razor, I can go on for two hours. I'm going to ask you a couple more and then let you get on with your day. Thanks so much for uh, being with me today. Rob Ray, 900 games played, 3,207 penalty minutes, 226 fights, and a plethora a story plethora means a lot, by the way, Rob. I'll help you out with that one. But I always did consider us a dysfunctional family uh, that worked really, really, really hard. Um, when you look back at, at you know teams that you played for under Teddy and then Lindy for the for the rest of your career there. Well, I think Teddy. He he. Obviously, you know that he was. You would have went through the wall for this guy because he was one of us, and he was. You know, he treated you with respect. Uh, in turn, he got the respect. And, you know, not the, he's not an X's and O coach. You know, like so many times you can sit and think that, you know, situations where, you know, things had to happen on the bench and he'd be like, you know, uh, Donnie, you know, it's, I can remember one night in Colorado where, you know, we had pulled the goalie and the referee comes to the bench and he says, you need another guy on the, on the ice. And Teddy looks and he goes, no, I got five out there. Ref goes, Teddy, you got the goalie pulled. And he's like, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> who wants to go? Looks down the bench and goes, hey, who wants to go? But, you know, or you come off and you go, hey, these guys are doing this. What do we do? It's just like, Donnie, Donnie. So, but they worked well together. Donnie was the guy that laid the structure down, and, and Teddy was the guy that motivated and got the guys to, to be on the same page. And it was a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I think in Lindy's part, uh, good coach, like he just. But I think it, it hit a point where he got frustrated and and had maybe having to deal with young kids and maybe having a hard time with that. Uh, you know, I think I, I learned an awful lot from Lindy. Uh, you know, more ways than one, on and off. And, but you know, it was just it, it was different in the room. It was it was managed more by fear sometimes and intimidation with with uh, with with Lindy and Teddy was. 
you know, he, he tried to push the right buttons that he didn't have to, to do that kind of a game. Uh, and he respected it. And the guys in turn loved it. Um, you know, I had a vast variety of coaches, Rick Dudley. Oh my God, this guy was, was crazy off the wall. And then John Markler more or less came in the first day and said, Hey, I treat superstars like superstars and the rest of you just be happy you're here. (laughs) So you had everything across the board, uh, you know, as coaches, but you know, Teddy, awesome. Couldn't say a bad thing about him. And Lindy, same thing. We had a lot of success with the guy. He was just different approach that he had that, uh, you know, sometimes was difficult. But I think he had as much difficult trying to figure out how to deal with the young kids as well. I've spoken to him a few times since. Uh, you know, he's left and now being an assistant. I think that he really enjoys that position now because it kind of takes the pressure off him. He can be the good, happy guy. I played with Lenny for half since, and he was, you know, a jokester, great guy, super, super guy. And I think when you're a head coach, you kind of think you got to be away from that. But when you're the assistant, you can be that guy again. Yeah. And, and I think he's... Uh, He's done an excellent job as the assistant, uh, you know, because he can be that guy. He's got a great personality, and I think he can bring the most out of guys. But, you know, as a head coach, it was a different world for him. Yeah, I, I love Teddy, and then I didn't like Lindy, and I didn't give him – you know, what? and I look back on it now. I wasn't mature enough, and I, I, I didn't take the business side out of it. I just took my loyalty to Teddy and didn't really give Lindy a fair chance. So even though I thought he was a fucking asshole at the time, I look at it now, and now when I see him – we laugh about it because you know, it's it's in the past. It, it's done, and he's actually a really really good guy. We just I just never gave him a chance because I hated that the organization at the time got rid of Ted Nolan. So I I, I was more to blame than Lindy Ruff, and he gave me every opportunity. Yes, we had our battles. We had some ugly ugly fights. Like I said, we were a dysfunctional family that played pretty hard for <laughs> each other, uh, to say the least. I, I had Brad May on our our good friend a couple weeks ago. I actually saw him in Vegas the other night, but. He told a story, um, and it was it was it was it was pretty fucking good, uh, where he put the X lax on his dessert and almost got him sent to the miners because oh, he was God. so dehydrated from shit in his pants. He told us that he shoved your toothbrush up his ass. You didn't brush your teeth with it, did you? Yeah, well, that's that's where he he's kind of tries to change things a little bit to try to get back on top, but. I never brush my teeth. <laughs> I always carry that toothbrush with me on the road. I never brush it. It was just kind of like, yeah, I got them somewhere we go. So the joke's on him. And that's the same as the joke's on him with Mimi back in uh, Chicago. You remember that that, uh, that special strip joint we were at yeah. with Jay and yeah. Trish Delios and that? Yeah. And he denies that to this day that he went up there 45 times handing dollar bills to this thing called Mimi. The room, and come to find not, out it I'm wasn't not, even a girl, it was a guy. It was, and the room, and he denies it. Well, like Jay, crazy. Jay, Jay McKee tells the story where you made out with Mimi. Is that true? No, are you kidding? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm, Those, I, the, I, the, I, I'm just asking the, only the question. The making out that was going on was the making out in front of that special bar they took us to later at night there. Well, there, there was making out. With the big muscle people? Yeah, Jay, Jay, oh, McKee yeah and, Jay McKee and Brad May were dancing above the stage, and then I shit my pants later on at the Drake Hotel. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it, yeah. it, it, it was a rough, rough night. So no toothbrush. I will clarify that with Brad. He always tries to get the upper hand. We had some great battles with him. Great guy. Uh, I'm going to close with this, uh, the Barney Five. Toughest guy you ever fought? Joe Kosher. Joe Kosher. Did he do some damage? Uh, he hit so hard. I know. T- I got in a fight with Tony Twist one night and hit me through my eyeball, through my. But I don't think he was as tough, tough as uh, uh, Joe Kosher was. Joe Kosher hits you so hard, man. He just he hurts. He hurts every time he touched your face. And you knew it going in, so you were already on the defensive, kind of like, I got to protect myself a little bit so you don't get hurt, but man, this guy hit like a ton of bricks. And he wasn't that big, but I wouldn't fight either of those guys. That's full full disclosure for everyone out there. I always tell everyone, Razor, I was so lucky to play in Buffalo with you and Brad because I got to fight the third and fourth toughest guys, and then I got traded to Pittsburgh and then Tampa, and I had to fight all these fucking monsters. I was like, why the fuck did I ask to get traded? Because I was so well insulated in Buffalo. Most skilled player you ever play with? Uh, I probably would say uh, Daniel Alfredson. Daniel, more than than McGillney or LaFontaine? Well, you know what? They were speed guys. You know, 
but I, I think that when you watched them practice and you watch guys, what, how creative they were and things they could do. Uh, I was when I went to Ottawa for that short period of time in practice. I was like amazed what him and Marion Host and these guys would be able to pull off in practice. It was it was pretty neat to to see. And compare, yeah, you know, LaFontaine's speed, straight up yeah. and down, you know, use the speed to get, and, you know, McGillney could, you know, he had the, not a great shot, he had great speed, you know, lateral deceptive, movement was fantastic. Deceptive shot, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I, I'm, I would have to put Daniel Alfredson there. Awesome, great late round pick. I think he was a sixth rounder, not, don't, don't quote me anyone out there, but I think he was a sixth round pick by Ottawa in 1992, my draft in Montreal. Best building you ever well, played in. Alex Magioni and I were drafted in the fifth round, and he ended up scoring 70-some goals. Yeah, him. 76. That's right. hundred and Well, Patty yeah. had 148 points that year. Best building you ever played in? Boston Gardens. Uh, I can remember afternoons in Boston. You know, things get fired up because it was always heated games between them and us. You, you'd get in a fight or whatever, and you'd have to wait at center ice till they got the positions down between the benches. Because everybody was right on top. You had to get a head of steam up to get off the ice and down the four stairs. Most of the time, you tripped going down. <laughs> Things would be pelted at you. You'd be skating down the boards, and all of a sudden, there'd be a beer or pop thrown over the glass. Because they could just lean over and, and take it right in the face as you're going down. But very intimidating, tough place to play. Uh, you know, you, you put it in, I put it above, the, you know, Montreal and Toronto at the time. I played there once and saw a rat, and I didn't play very often. And it was the smallest building. I remember looking yeah. at Ray Bork and Cam Neely going, holy fuck, these guys are big, and there's no room out here. It was such a small, intimidating rink. Small uh, little place, two, you know. Two more. Uh, who's the dumbest player you ever, and you can't say me, I'm hosting this, so dumbest player you ever played Dumbest? With? Yeah. I might have to put Brad May in that category. Wow. Wow, I thought you might yeah. go. I thought you might go Michael Groshek, but Brad May, I can't wait, love it. Yeah, Groshek would be a good one too because he's continued his uh, amazing uh, scatterbrain. Scatterbrain, I love it, love it. Uh, yeah. Last, last one before I let you leave, and um, biggest asshole you either played against or with. Oh, oh, you know what? I, I I would answer that, but since I since I've finished playing. Anybody that I had an issue with, except one, there's only one out there that I haven't made amends with. Yeah. And, you know, even the, the nights that you knew with, like, Tucker and Corson and those guys. Yeah. I know you said like, something the nasty The first time to I them, ran into I... them when I was done, like, I walked right up to them and I'm like, guys, I totally apologize for everything over the years. It was my fault. I was an asshole. I threw it all on my shoulders. And now it's like, you know, you run into these guys and it's, you know, like nothing ever happened. There's only one that I haven't, and that's Jeremy Roenick that is... Still bitter about one afternoon in Arizona and uh, tried to tried to maybe break that wall down. And he just won't let it happen. So uh, a tough afternoon one day for him <laughs> from me sitting on the bench, giving it to him. And man, he's he's held it against me for a lifetime. Wow, because I've said some nasty things to Shane Corson. Now I'm great friends with him. I think he's awesome. Tucker, the same way. Just so many guys that I've said. I mean, you know, I said nasty, nasty things, as did you. The shit that came out of our mouth. But it was all about the game. It was all about our team. It was all about pissing them off. And I'm surprised, Jr. because I, 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 I want to say I said some nasty things to him, and, and we're fine. But you must have said something really, really. You know nasty. what happened? We were we were at one of those Hockeyville things a few years ago, and he was working, I was working. I seen him coming towards me, and it was like a two or three step up to where we all were set up, but during for this Hockeyville thing. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be the time I'm going to say something to him, you know. And he comes walking along, and he was, like, staring at me, and he didn't realize the steps were there, and he tripped, and he kind of stumbled, and, and, and he kind of regained composure, and he just took off. And that was the last time I ever really had a chance to, to confront him about it. Can you disclose what you said, or was way too offside? Yeah, no, I, I yeah. Way yeah. too offside? No. No. Yeah, it's offside. Okay. It was, you know where those some of those discussions went. Sometimes, yeah, 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 but. yeah. No, I, I can I can guess, and then we're in a politically very correct. And, and we, I mean, the things we said were wrong. I mean, we we were in a different yeah. era, and and it's not accepted in in everyday life. And half the shit that I said back then, I wouldn't say now. And it's just it's wrong. But that's what we grew up on, and we didn't know the difference. I, I I'm gonna let you go, Razor, but I I just need what. Hey, I'm not even putting him in that asshole category. I'd have to put Mary Meryl Stan into that. Miro. Now that I've thought about it. Miro. 
Yeah. You didn't like Miro? Yeah. Why didn't you like Well, Miro? he always just left his wife at home all the time and, and never had a car, so he'd take off on a road trip. And I remember my wife having to go pick her up and take her around and do stuff just because she would be stuck in the house. That's not a very cool move. No, there was a guy that played for, I think it was Kovalenko, that used to leave his like wife and children at home with no money when they'd go on the road, no car, no nothing. And guys from L.A. would have to come in and... Uh, really help her out. All the wives would have to come in and, and buy her stuff and take her out for lunch and feed the kid. Like it was, it was just whacked. And oof, I, I, I can't believe. It. I, I'm going to let you go, Razor. But I just want to charity work you're doing okay. in Buffalo right now because just tell me one thing: of the wine event we did, how much money did you guys raise, and what else are you doing for the faithful in Buffalo? Because I know you are just so much revered and you uh, enjoy doing charity work. Yeah, and, uh, we raised about ninety-eight thousand clear on our wine event. Uh, it all goes to breast cancer research and prevention uh, here locally. And it was a fabulous night. The next thing we got up is our fishing derby coming up here in May. And we do that out of Alcott in Lake Ontario, big salmon fishing tournament. And then uh, this summer's golf tournament in August. And next year's our 50th anniversary. So everybody's pretty busy on putting stuff together for that. So we should have a pretty event for you next year. Awesome. Thanks for taking the time today, Razor. Glad no toothbrush was uh, put in your mouth. And I will, uh, I will take that to Brad May. Thank you again. Uh, have a great day, and uh, enjoy your summer. Enjoy your summer. I know it's a long summer. Hey, anytime. You as well. Okay. Thanks, Rob. Ray, like I said, 900 games played, 3,207 penalty minutes. Buffalo Sabres from 89 to 03 was a brief stint in Ottawa. Uh, one of the great guys of the game. So many stories. I'm going to have him on again because I'm telling you, we didn't even get to a quarter of them uh, playing with him so many years we had so many battles and he alluded to the fight I talked about that um, before our fight when I broke his stick and he ended up headbutting me knocking my teeth out on the bus there was blood everywhere on our way to practice uh, some insane ones the one in that he talked about in the dressing room uh, I had I had asked to get traded and then got in an argument with Lindy Ruff and Lindy Ruff confronted me in the dressing room and looked at me straight in the eyes standing right in front of my stall and he had a stick in his hand, a wooden stick. They don't have those anymore. And looked at me, he goes, what the fuck do you want? What the fuck do you want? I said, I've told you for a year, I want to be traded. I want to be traded. And he goes, who the fuck do you think you are? And I go, Matthew Barnaby. And he smashes his stick over my stall. And I stand up very quietly. And I look at him, I go, don't, 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 don't be Lindy. Don't be Lindy on the road. You're being rough at home because we know you don't like to fight on the road, only at home. And he lost his mind. I said, if you really want to settle this, let's drive 20 minutes outside of town. Let's go to a schoolyard and fucking we'll go to a parking lot or a schoolyard, whatever you want. We'll fucking have it out. We'll fight. And he fucking lost his mind. He said, get the fuck out of this room. Get the fuck out of here. I've never told this story. This is this is funny. I've never told this story to the public. So I got up and I grabbed my skate and Razor, I was fucking mad at him because I didn't think he'd defended me at the time. <clears throat> but I realized now that I was probably a little off- offside. But me and Lindy did not get along a- at all. Like we were, we were oil and water. And I picked up my skate and I fucking chucked it right through the big screen TV. Now the big screen TVs, it's not like the plasmas now. Obviously they're really thick. My skate stuck right in the middle. And I walked up and I left my skate there. And I went upstairs to the general managers, Darcy Regeers, and I, I said, I need to be traded. Like, I need to be traded. So we had a little conversation. It wasn't a very good conversation. I came back down, and Razor said something to me. And I put him in a fucking headlock. And I literally had him on the ground, choking him out. Like, I had a super lock on his... Like, this is how dysfunctional our family. And we were good friends. And I was choking him out. I, like, I was waiting for... He was almost out, like, cold, like... WWE style, WWE, like almost out cold. And he all of a sudden puts his hand right between my legs and grabs my balls as hard as he can and squeezes. And I let go and he just gasped for air. I rolled over and we just both kind of laid there in fucking pain. Uh, But yeah, we had some good fights, some really good fights. And I remember at my first training camp, we used to have to Stand up, it was old school, where we'd go to this golf course in, in Buffalo, Craigburn. And before training camp started, we had a team dinner. And you'd have to stand up and, and say your name, where you played, and your position. 
And I was 165 pounds. I was nervous. You know, I got I got Brad May. I got to fight. I got I got I got Rob Ray, who's one of the toughest in the NHL. I got to go after him. Like, but I'm also just trying to fit in, right? I'm just I'm just trying to fit in. This is my first pro camp ever, so I'm I'm really nervous. So I stand up, and I'm Matthew Barnaby, uh, Beauport Harfangs, because that's where I played junior, uh, right winger. Uh, very happy to be here, and Razor out of nowhere because he tried to intimidate you back in the day. He he's so much different now. He he tried to intimidate, and I think you know a, a new perceived tough guy. And I wasn't a tough guy. Like I was 165 pounds at the time. Rob was 230, and my nickname in junior was Killer. And all I heard was Killer gonna get killed tomorrow. And I sat back down, I didn't say a word, but all the other rookies are like, oh, wow. I don't want to be you. Razor's coming after you. I said, he's not coming after me. I'm going after him. And I was scared. I was nervous. Fuck. I was really, really nervous because I knew the damage he could do. But I had to. I, ha- I had to stand up for myself. I had to prove a point. Like, he did this in front of all management and coaches. And so as soon as... The puck dropped. I went right after him. And he just kind of whacked me and fucking skated away. And I fucking went after him again. He dropped the gloves and, and beat the shit out of me. Beat the fucking shit out of me. So we go to the box. We come back out. Next shift, I go right after Razor again. And he kicks the fuck out of me. I get a little better, but he kicks the fuck out of me again. I go to pick up my helmet on the ice. And he comes over and he fucking punches me while I'm picking my helmet up. Now I'm pissed. Now we go to the box again, and I'm losing my mind. I got a little cut on my forehead, but nothing, nothing bad. He hit me. He hit me pretty good, but nothing, nothing too severe. So we come out again. And I go. I'm gonna fight you every fucking time. Every fucking time. So I, I come up the ice. And I'm fucking chopping at him. I'm chopping at him. He goes, "Stay the fuck away from me. Who the fuck do you think you are?" So whatever, I drop my gloves, he kicks the shit out of me one more time. So after the third time, we kind of looked at each other, and I think I got his respect. Uh, but man, it was a scary time when I came to that training camp, knowing Rob Ray had it in for me. Uh, but certainly watching him play over the years, um, even the charity work that he does, I, I'm just so impressed with how he's made a career, not only as a tough guy, um, the charity work that he's done for Buffalo, uh, all the guys that he fought. I'm, I'm telling you, I've only saw, seen him lose probably three times. The one to Joey Kosher, the one to Tony Twist, and the one to George LaRock. There might be more, but those three guys uh, and all the guys that he fought every single night, like the ones with Ty Domi, I don't think either of them ever won a fight. And he said 23 times, 13 times in the NHL. They just punched each other's face over and over and over over again and I have so many stories that I will I will uh, bring out to the forefront and let you guys listen to um, as the podcasts uh, unveil you'll see a lot of my stories that I bring up uh, will have uh, Rob in them because we we, we played uh, we played so long together that it's that it's inevitable that um, we're we're gonna have some of those stories and it, it's funny in just closing uh, with him uh, he alluded to the fact when I came back and played from Pittsburgh you know, I went from being, you know, the golden child in Buffalo and, and a fan favorite. Uh, I was very lucky that they they really enjoyed my game. But he had dinner at my wife's and my house the night be, before the game in Buffalo. I still kept my house there when I got traded to Pittsburgh. Now, this is only probably a month later, so obviously I still had the house. But I got on the ice, and I was running around like an idiot, and now, you know, I had asked to get traded. So now the Buffalo faithful, who absolutely love me, now hated me. Because I was, I was public enemy number one. And I was doing exactly to that team and that fan base what I did to all the other teams when I was a Buffalo Sabres. And Razor comes out and he goes, you got to settle the fuck down. You got to settle the fuck down. Lindy Ruff told me to come take care of you right now. I'm giving you the chance. Stop. I looked at him. I go, Razor, you know me by now. We've known each other eight years. You know I'm not settling down. And that just amped me up every, even more. Even though I was going to have to answer the bell. So I went in the corner. I laid a check on him. He came back at me, and I actually took my stick, and I whacked him like right on the shoulder, pretty pretty hard, like a two-handed swing, and he lost his mind, and we went at it, and I held on to him because I didn't want to go punch for punch for him. I know how amped up he was, and I wasn't amped up that way to fight. I was amped up to piss people off, 
And he just kept on fucking looking at me, trying to, he couldn't, he hit me a couple times, but he never hit me all that hard. And I just held on to him and I knew he couldn't get loose. And I started laughing at him. And you can go on YouTube, Rob Ray, Matthew Barnaby, and watch the fight. But I'm literally laughing at him. And I know I'm fucking driving him absolutely nuts. And I'm kind of embarrassing him in front of the faithful in Buffalo because he was like, he's supposed to kick the shit out of me. And that was his job. And he did. He won the fight. He's beat me. I I don't think I've ever beat him. I've stood in there and we've had many battles. uh, But certainly he is much tougher than I. Uh, but it was it was one of those nights where we were like, what the fuck? And I remember after the game, we, we talked to each other, and I was fine. And, hey, it's part of the game. And I know you have to do something. You have to listen to your coach. You have to do what you have to do for your team and your fan base. But the best thing was when he walked by my wife after the game, and she fucking looked at him. She was sour. I mean sour. She had cooked for him the night before and couldn't believe that that he had come after me. And she laid into him. He didn't care what I thought. He really liked her. And he uh, he just said, I am so sorry. It's part of the game. And I, I wish that uh, didn't happen. But unfortunately, it did. And it's it's part of it. Now, she got over it. We all got over it. Part of the game. He was a great Buffalo Saber. Uh, I consider him a great friend. Love what he does for charity. Uh, just absolutely revered in that fan base. I'm going to have him on again because I have so many. I mean, so many Rob Ray stories uh, that don't always have fighting, but a lot of a lot of jokes along the way that um, that 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 we had uh, with each other. Certainly a, a fun, fun time, and I appreciate him coming on. Like I said, nine hundred games, nine hundred games, and thirty two hundred and seven penalty minutes. I had twenty five sixty two or something in that range. I mean, he had another seven hundred minutes on me. Uh, just absolutely crazy. Yep. Call it. We were the dysfunctional family, the dysfunctional family that hated each other at times, loved each other at times. But I got to say, we always battled hard, uh, as Buffalo Sabres. We had some pretty, pretty darn good teams. Uh, Steve Eisen press conference going on right now. Uh, bringing him in as the next GM. We knew this was going to happen. This isn't something when you quit the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, you just don't quit to, to retire as GM. He's a very smart guy. Will do an amazing job uh, in rebuilding uh, a team that has a lot of good young prospects. Will do a good job, a great job, uh, rebuilding the Detroit Red Wings organization that was so good in the 90s. I mean, so good. Pitt and Tampa, they're gone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We won't be talking much about them. Some pivotal games coming up. Obviously, Vegas going home Sunday, playing on Easter Sunday, uh, trying to close out the series. Uh, Washington going back home after losing two in Carolina. Uh, That's going to be massive for them. Defending Stanley Cup champions have lost two in a row on the road. And Carolina has a lot of momentum. A lot of momentum. Winnipeg down 3-2 to the St. Louis Blues. Can they recover? Can they find their game? Can they, a team that a lot of people consider uh, the favorite to win uh, the Stanley Cup uh, with with all the guys that they have now find themselves down 3-2 and a very, very confident, I mean confident, uh, team going forward in the St. Louis Blues. Jordan Bennington looks great, uh, was great last game. Look for him to continue. Nashville-Dallas, Nashville has to find their game. They have to find a power play if they're going to beat this Dallas Stars team. Dallas destroyed them last game. Uh, power play was three for six, but Nashville, if they don't get a power play, they are clicking at 0%, 0% for the series. Colorado, big surprise. They have the 107-point Calgary Flames on the ropes. Three games to one. McKinnon has been a beast. Landis Cog has been a beast. Rantanen has been a beast. And the big guys for Calgary have not been. The one Achilles heel that we thought coming into the playoffs might be the goaltending and Mike Smith, he's been their best player. By far their best player. By far. Talked about Columbus. Talked about the New York Islanders moving on. I just talked about Washington, Carolina. And lastly, Boston, Toronto. Boston going home, tied the series 2-2. Uh, I think they're going to win it. I predicted them in seven. Uh, big game at home. Look for matchups to change. Look for Boston to really get away from that Tavares-Bergeron uh, matchup they have last change. 
Uh, I think they're the better team. I think they're the deeper team. I think they defend better, and I look for them to win in seven. Hope you guys enjoyed Rob Ray. Hope you enjoyed the stories. Many more to come. Enjoy the playoffs. You're going to enjoy California. I'm glad I'm out of Vegas. I'm glad I'm out of Vegas. Thank fucking God. Matthew Barnaby's 45. Four days in Vegas felt like a month and a half. I'm tired. I'm going to have some rest today. I'm going to do my show. I'm going to watch a lot of hockey. And I'm going to hydrate. Hydrate. And uh, I, I, I think I might have to go with my quote of the day. The quote of the day, because Rob Ray said that he peed on his hands to make them tougher. I don't know if that's quite true. I hope not. He is from Sterling, Ontario. Very, very, very small farm town. So I'm hoping Razor didn't pee on his hands. It's disgusting. I hope he never did it when I was in the shower. But because he brought up the pee story, I'm going to leave you with this. Don't eat yellow snow. It won't end well. Have a great day. Enjoy the playoffs. Love you guys. Uh, Patches, are you sure that this is completely necessary? Necessary? Is it necessary for me to drink my own urine? Probably not. No, but I do it anyway because it's sterile and I like the taste.